audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. Well, good morning, church. Um, so, again, uh, my name is Caleb Foster. Uh, I'm the summer intern, uh, and I'm very excited for this opportunity to get up here and speak to you guys. Um, but before we get into the text... Uh, let's look at a lesson that I've learned throughout the summer uh, at various camps uh, and from many, many people. Uh, and a lot of you I really haven't gotten to know because I've been here for almost 11 weeks, I think. And over half of that was at camps. So uh, just to look at what a summer as Deering's intern looks like. Um, it starts off, as I assume any internship would, uh, very awkward and kind of fumbling things around, pretty jumbly. Uh, simply trying to figure out what the community is and what the people here are all about. Um, but as I was here for my first week, um, as I finally started to get to know some people, uh, we went to camp, uh, Hidden Haven Christian Camp. Um, and JB and Jamie talked about it all of June, camp season. That's, that's me. I was at every one. Every one. Um, so we was at Hidden Haven um, for four weeks, uh, and we only came home for no more than three days at a time. Uh, we would leave on a Sunday afternoon, we'd get home on a Friday afternoon, I would do my laundry, go mow a cemetery for 12 hours on Saturday, and show up on Sunday and leave again. Um, in fact, I was there so much, uh, we took a trip and I opened up Apple Maps, and some of you guys will know what this is. I zoomed out, and there was a little blue dot. I was like, okay, well, what's that? Home. <laughs> it wasn't here. And I promise I live right there. It was at Hidden Haven Christian Camp. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I even left my bedding out at camp. Uh, I found some spare bedding in the apartment, took it out there, and I knew I'd be back very shortly. I left my tote, I left all my belongings, I just kind of left with a bag of clothes, knowing they weren't hopefully not going to touch my things, and I'd be back before they could move it even if they wanted to. Um, and when I finally got into the groove of Hidden Haven, it seemed like, uh, we were done. And then we had two weeks to prepare for CIY and Mix. Um, these trips and weeks with the students and faculty uh, were so rewarding, and I've learned so much uh, and grown a lot in my walk with God. Um, but one thing for the text today that really stuck out to me uh, and that I have reflected on my time here at Deering, um, there's really gonna be two examples of the situation that Peter was in today. Uh, and the lesson is a simple one, uh, and it's that you need to quote unquote say it with your chest. Um, and I'll get to that in a little bit if you don't know what I mean by that. Uh, however, it is much harder than it seems. So the first example uh, actually happened on the last week at Hidden Haven. So, those of you that have been there, you'll know what I'm talking about. Those of you that haven't, imagine with me, okay? We're going to go on a walk. So, we're in the dorms, and it's like military boot camp, right? So, you have all the bunks out there, uh, but there's a downstairs as well, and they're not connected. Uh, and there's, there's a little bit of beef between upstairs and downstairs, because I was dormed out on the upstairs, and you had to walk past me to go downstairs, but I didn't hold any grudges, I promise. But I was, whatever, you can go down there if you want. Um, but as the weeks progressed, I somehow found myself with more and more responsibility out at the camp uh, because I was out there almost as long as camp staff was out there. 
Uh, and so as we get into the last week, I somehow find myself with the title of Dorm Dad. Uh, and boy, I was pretty proud to be wearing, like holding that clipboard, walking, making the boys stand in front of the beds before we could go to eat, you know. Uh, maybe a little bit of abuse of power, but we, 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 like, we don't have to talk about that. Um, and the dads that were up there with me, very, you can yell if you want to yell. You can have the dorm dad. I'm just here a couple weeks or a couple days off of work. I don't want to yell. I'm that guy at home. I don't want to be that guy here. Um, so I'm heading down to breakfast on one of the last days. Um, very tired. You know, I've been there for 20-something days at this point. You never get any sleep. Lights out, supposed to be at 10. It doesn't happen. Um, and so I'm going down, and there are a bunch of helper students, high school, junior high, there for this last week. I believe it was 3-4 camp. Um, and so I thought, you know, having the scraggly beard that I do have, uh, which I had the man bun at the time, so it kind of cancels out, but thought I looked much different than the helpers there. Um, but I guess I didn't, and there was an older guy that slept downstairs, uh, and you could tell he was pretty experienced, and I'm walking down, and they're looking for servers uh, for breakfast, and I, I prefer to serve because it makes it go faster, you kind of get to interact with the kids, and I plan on serving anyway, and so as I come walking down, he's kind of at the line, and he just looks and he goes, hey, you can go serve, and I was like, whoa, I'm dormed at, <laughs> like, you don't get to tell me what, like, I'm in charge, um, Humbled very quickly, uh, my dorm knew I was dorm dad, uh, and I taught them games and all kinds of things, and they would interact as such. Um, but he slept downstairs, and my authority meant nothing to him uh, at all, uh, and it really shouldn't have meant anything to him. Um, and he spoke with authority, uh, and boy, although I hate being dadded, you know, bossed around like, hey, you better stop, you better go serve, and you're going to like it. Um, I listened, and even though I was going to serve anyway, walked into the mess hall defeated with my head down. Uh, I didn't know, uh, he didn't know I had any authority, and right then in the moment, I couldn't have backed up what I said even if I wanted to. Hey, he can't tell me what to do. I'm dorm dad, bud. He, he doesn't care. They need servers. So I walked in. I'm serving. Um, and in Acts 11, we'll be looking at Peter and the authority in which Jesus gave him, stating that he would be the rock in which the church would be built, uh, but before we look at the new believers questioning Peter's authority, let's take a look back at how Peter got into this mess in the first place. So we've been walking through the book of Acts for a very, very long time at this point. Um, but Jamie, the last couple of weeks, uh, has been preaching about Peter and kind of his reemergence in the book of Acts. Um, so in this story, Peter started out by seeing a vision of the big buffet. That's how I put it. Any kind of meat you could imagine. Uh, pigs, cows chickens. I have no idea what it was. I, I wasn't there. I don't know what animals they had back then. Um, however, Peter was like, I don't want to be made unclean. You know, God came down with the vision. And he's like, uh, no thanks. Like, I, I'm good, God. Like, come on. Like, I don't do that stuff. Uh, and God, uh, quote unquote, mommed him uh, and said he had the final word and sent Peter to the house of Cornelius. And now by the term mom, uh, I'm sure quite a few of you love to do this one to your kids. Um, I'm referencing to a dinner, dinner time tragedy that you all know well, uh, and there's quite a few moms out here that love to pull this one. Uh, a very long time ago, I learned not to question moms when they put food on your plate. Um, I sat at the table for three hours. Um, 
because I wouldn't eat the rest of my food that I asked for because I was like, I want to be a big boy. I want some tuna. I did not want tuna. Did not want tuna. Um, I actually tried to get down three times. Um, the first time was just kind of like a, hey, you got to get back up there and eat. The second time was like, hey, you know you can't get down till you eat. And the third time, this is where the, the mom comes in, was you're going to get back up there, you're going to sit down, you're going to eat your food, and you're going to like it before I spank you. Um, and I, I, I did. Um, and I just feel like that's kind of what God told Peter in this situation. Like he showed him all this food, and Peter was like, nah. And God was like, listen, you're going to go, you're going to eat with them, and you're going to like it, and you're not going to say a word because I'm God. And so Peter went. We never hear that he said anything back to God, um, although Peter was kind of known for having a mouth on him. He went, no questions asked. Uh, but this was a big deal because, as we talked about, Cornelius was not Jewish. Um, so Peter was smart and brought six witnesses. He brought the boys with him. He says, we're going to feast, you know. It's buffet. I'll bring all the boys. We'll eat them out of house and home. Um, but they didn't see the vision that Peter did uh, and had no idea what they would be experiencing once they got to the house of Cornelius. Uh, however... They were even amazed at the gift of the Holy Spirit that came down on Cornelius and his household. Uh, but what stuck out to me was the fact that they were amazed at the Holy Spirit, but they had seen Peter do all the miracles before. So they had seen Peter heal people, touch them, give them the Holy Spirit. But whenever the Holy Spirit came down on the Gentiles, they didn't know how to process that. Um, but this led them to head back to Judea while Peter stayed with Cornelius for a couple of days. Um, and this is where the problems start. So although there wasn't any social media, no Instagram, no Facebook, um, the one thing people have loved for centuries is gossip uh, and drama. And boy, this was a story of Peter worth telling. However, the problem comes whenever people can't really grasp what actually happened on the journey and instead settle on the part that they can handle. Don't you guys hate that? Like, you tell a great story, but at the beginning, something happens, or you do something, and it's a little... Not even bad, but it's just kind of like, people are like, what? And so then they don't even focus on the rest of the story. They're just like, they don't care that you did all of that because they're stuck on this. That was exactly what happened here. So this is whenever Peter not only went into the house of the Gentile, but ate with them. So they told him the whole story, right? This big elaborate thing. And the people sitting there were just like, the Holy Spirit, whatever, yada, yada. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He went into his house. He ate with them. Like, Dude, that, that's against the laws. Like, check this out. I'm assuming they had law books. Uh, they just knew them. Whipped it out like, look, he broke article, whatever, right? And so although these believers were followers of Jesus, they still had their Jewish traditions about as high as you can hold it without breaking the law, still being controversial. So one of the first things we need to address is the point Jamie made last week, uh, that in Acts 10.34, God shows no favoritism. Now that the Gentiles have been saved, there's a huge cultural boundary that is being broken. However, not everyone was a fan of this happening. This becomes a problem not because it happened, but because Peter stayed a few days with Cornelius and helped him build up the fellow believers while the six other believers went back to Judea to spread the word. So today as we get into Acts verse, or chapter 11, verse 1, uh, now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. It seems like even in the early church, bad rumors spread faster than good truth. When we look at the very end of chapter 10, it says that, Cornelius, uh, that Peter stayed with Cornelius for a few days. Apparently, just enough time for those believers to interpret what they were told 
and to make it fit their agenda without asking questions. So as we see in verse 2 and 3, uh, just what they were mad about. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So this stuck out to me. So like, first of all, they don't follow the old customs anymore. That was the whole point of them following Jesus because he is the Messiah. But Peter, being the one who saved them or preached to them, led them into their walk with Christ, um, condemned his actions before ever asking him why he did them or even what his actions really were. Um, And Peter could have justified them, right? Like he had all the authority in the world coming from God, uh, but they just ran with it. Um, But we can't be too hard on these new believers because even Peter forgot that Jesus had already declared all foods clean. We're going to take a look. We're going to jump back to Mark 7, 17 through 19. Uh, When he had left the crowd and entered the home, Jesus, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. After these accusations were thrown at Peter, he stayed calm and replied exactly what happened. And I say exactly what happened because Acts 11, 4 through 10, is exactly what was written in Acts 10, 17 through 48. So let's take a look at Acts 11, 4 through 14, and see just what Peter told his fellow believers. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. And it came down right to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals on the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. So again, Peter has sets of three. Um, And so God didn't just tell him once. He told him three times, just as Peter denied Jesus three times. And just as Jesus uh, then told Peter to go feed his sheep three times. Um, But verses 4 through 10 were almost verbatim of what Jamie covered two weeks ago in Acts 10, 9 through 16. Except this time, Peter retold the events from a first-person point of view, uh, whereas Luke told it from a third-person point of view. Uh, now, the next four verses, 11 through 15, are a brief summary of Acts 10, 17 through 48. Uh, the first time around, Luke, being the excellent historian he was, fleshed out all of these details, making the 31 verses amount to more than 625 words. That's a lot of words. I don't want to read that much today. Um, Whereas Luke's retelling of Peter's summary here uh, in Acts 11 only comes out to 101 words. Uh, Starting in verse 11, And behold, at that moment three men appeared in the house to which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Peter retold the situation how it happened, making sure to include that even he was hesitant at first. But the Lord affirmed that this is what Peter should do. Peter spoke this with great authority, knowing that this was exactly what God had told him to do, not backing down whenever he was accused. 
This part specifically takes me back to a story that occurred during our week at CIY. So about CIY, everybody stays in dorms, typically. Um, we got a call two or three days before we go saying that there was a problem with housing. And JB are like, I don't even know what this means. This is going to be rough. Um, but we were told we got upgraded to a townhouse. But JB will tell you we were both very nervous about that fact because that means you're isolated because everybody else is staying in the dorms and you're all alone in a townhouse with everybody from your youth group. Yay, all week. Um, but there was extreme camaraderie that would not have been possible in the dorms that came out of that week. Um, however, there was a downside to all of this, and that was that we shared the house with the production team, and we weren't told before we got there. Um, so the first night back, we're walking up. Uh, we just all went down to play some sand volleyball. And it's 11 p.m., time to go to dorms. And the townhouse is a decent ways from the dorms, and it's right at 11. You know, teenage boys like to push the limits. Um, and the production team is standing outside in a little, like, circle in between a couple townhouses. And one of them lets us know that it's time to go to the dorms. Uh, and one of the boys says, yeah, we know. We live there. And that's when it started. Um, they, they let us know about quiet hours often. And I mean every day. The quiet hours never changed, but they let us know every day, and sometimes multiple times throughout the day. Um, but we made it through most of the week fine. Um, but then came Wednesday night, uh, and as some of you know, that is cry night at an event like this. Um, but JB and I were talking amongst ourselves in our room, uh, and the guys were hanging out in the foyer, um, playing cards, or so we thought. Um, then a couple boys come into the room, and it happens all the time. Caleb, we need you, we need you, we need you, whatever, no you don't. Uh, this time they come in, hey, we need you now, let's go. JB's like, go check it out, come back, whatever. So I walk out there, I'm like, what'd you guys do? Nobody's in the foyer, nobody. I'm like, Guys, we brought like 14, 15 guys. Where's everybody at? They were outside. It's like 1130. Um, and we have a balcony. Overlooks down onto a coffee shop. They were all sitting out there, minding their own business, is what I was told. Um, but I walk out onto the balcony, and there's a staff member. Either leader? Hey, leader? Why? Um... They're outside. They need to go inside. But I look, and none of our boys are down there. And about that time, I hear the, at the door, it's all the boys, whatever, I can play this off. Okay, they need to get inside. Sounds good. They're all inside. Are, are, are we good? Um, but as I walk back out to talk to them, boys being boys are curious, and they all push their way out onto the balcony. Uh, I was going to let them hang out on the balcony anyway after they left, but they couldn't wait. Uh, so there's 14 guys crowding me on a balcony the size of this, and I'm standing there talking to her, and she's looking up at me, and she's not having it at this point, telling me everybody needs to get inside. And so I turn around, and I'm, let's go, come on. Like, 
I don't care what we do. We just go inside right now, okay? We can talk about this. Um, very, very, very reluctant to go back inside. Uh, that is until JB came out and told them the exact same thing I did. Uh, because in this situation, his authority is what mattered. Uh, because I haven't been here for very long at all. And there's a couple boys on the trip that I'm only two years older than. Um, but JB's been here a very long time. Uh, and they will listen to him because he does have the authority to send them home. Um, but we see that my words and actions were justified, uh, but they weren't backed up until I showed them my authority. Uh, I liked to use the term that week. Um, I'm just telling you this because JB told me to tell you this, so you better stop. But that would only work if he actually told me that. Because if he didn't tell me that, then they would just go ask. Because whatever. The, JB, did you? Nope. And then I'm getting in trouble. Um, but JB backed up my actions just as Peter backed up his actions with direct words from the Lord. Another time when we were there, the boys asked if they could go rock climbing. This was at Mix, downstairs in the bottom of the, I don't know, the basement. There was a rock wall. I was like, are people doing it? Like, yeah. I was like, sure, whatever. I didn't tell you that you could do it. I didn't see it. JB has no idea any of this is happening. And all of a sudden, I'm asleep upstairs in a chair in like our lobby, and I get woken up by a leader. Hey, you Caleb? Yes. Why? Uh, did you tell your boys that they could go on the rock wall? Uh, I didn't say they couldn't. He was like, uh, well, I'm a leader here, and, like, I go to school here, and we can't even use the rock wall unless an RA is on staff, like, watching. Uh, and so I just wanted, before I chewed them out or made them get off, I wanted to make sure you didn't okay this with anybody higher. Nope. Mm-mm. You go get them. Please. As I'm still half asleep, I, was, I don't even know what's happening. Um, but they tried to use my authority in that situation to back up their actions, However, I didn't have any authority given to me in the first place. <laughs> but Peter in this case did have his authority backed up. Uh, and let's see just as he, how he backed up his actions and just how that went for him. So in verse 15, as I began to speak, Peter in the first person here, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. So I just want to know what was going through not only Peter's head in the situation, but through the six brothers that Peter had brought along on his journey. Notice that just as Jamie pointed out last week, Peter says upon us. Uh, reference, referencing not the new believers. He doesn't, he's disregarding their authority at the moment. Um, but he's referring to the apostles on the day of the Pentecost. Uh, referring to the founding people. The founding apostles um, for the ministry that they're carrying out for Jesus. Uh, in verse 16, And as I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave us, also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I to stand in God's way? Uh, this is the first time in scripture that is recorded where they call, that they say, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but I also find it interesting that although the believers never questioned Peter about the fact that the Gentiles were baptized, Peter makes sure to point it out. He brings it up. He lets them know, hey, I did this because Jesus said. Um, and actually, verses 16 and 17, or verses 16, 
uh, was in red in my Bible. I don't know if it's in red in your guys' Bible, meaning that it is Jesus who spoke that. So it is a direct quote from Jesus Christ. Um, but luckily for us, Peter made a big deal about it because we wouldn't be here if Peter didn't make a big deal about it because I'm assuming not many of you are Jewish by descent. But Jamie pointed out last week that this Gentile Pentecost was almost identical to the Jewish one that occurred in Acts chapter 2. With Peter recalling back to Jesus' ministry here, it seems to say that Peter is stating how baptism is the highest indicator of unity in all of the world. Uh, It is an inclusive act that has no boundaries. Baptism does not discriminate, and God will not let you put it in a box, just because you don't think someone will accept Jesus. This was kind of controversial for the Gentiles. They liked to be God's chosen people. And now all of a sudden, if these Gentiles are being baptized, they're not special. Um, And I don't know if anybody's ever told you you're not special, but that one kind of hurts just a little bit. Uh, And so they were like, hey, what are you doing? We're special. This is our thing. And Peter just kind of walks in and says, no, no, no. This is everybody's thing. Uh, And you're not allowed to discriminate against them no matter how bad you want to. Um, But then when we look in verse 18, they seem to be okay with it. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God, has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. The same people that started accusing Peter of breaking the law do a full 180 and ended up accepting that God has granted the Gentiles the same privilege that they had received prior. I believe that a part of their submission here uh, to Peter's words comes out of the fact that he is speaking with his chest, meaning that he's saying what he means. He's puffing out a little bit. He's speaking with some authority. His confidence is unmatched because he knows what he's saying is true. Almost as if he's saying, like, listen, this is what I was told, and I'm not going to back down. He stood his ground whenever he was challenged. These listeners recognized the true authority in Peter's life, and that was God, and decided that they should praise him as such. The question I want to leave you with today is a simple one. Who is the authority in your life? And where does that authority that you have come from? If your actions are not backed by scripture, then what are they backed with? We see Peter do many things that were way out of his comfort zone because God pushed him to do so. What can you do this week to submit to God and to his authority and serve those around you? Okay, so at this point we're going to transition into a time of communion. Uh, And it is very important to remember that this is a serious time of remembering the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. Uh, If you did not pick up an offering cup or a communion cup in the back, uh, when I'm done praying, raise your hand and Chuck will bring you one. Uh, This is a serious time, a serious place of focus for baptized believers. Uh, It is an open communion. Uh, You don't have to regularly attend here to partake. Um, There is no need to rush this. If you are in a serious place of worship, then there are two questions to ask yourself as you grab your cup in front of you. First, what are you holding on to in your life? What are you refusing to give God the authority over? Secondly, what needs to be given over to God? 